All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland podcast. I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. We are live here in the Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio at Portland High School. And this is going to be our episode number 47. And uh, with us in the studio is the Commander-in-Chief, our first electman, Mr. Ryan Curley. And, of course, our frequent flyer that comes in remotely all the time where we have our uh, Chatham Health Director, Mr. Russ Melman. So, welcome, guys. How are you? Doing well. How are you, Dave? Uh, just gorgeous. It's, it's, it's actually a, a very nice day out there today. It's, the temperature is, uh, you know... Pretty pleasant, you know. Yeah, the sun is shining. It's not eight degrees out. I mean, how about that? <laughs> yes, that's a that's a good thing, you know. So, all right, you guys all ready for the Super Bowl? I I, I want to get this out on the table. Okay, who's who's picking who? Um, okay, I'm going with the Rams. You're but, going with the Rams, okay? But I I'm just uh, really what I'm hoping for is a good game. I really don't care about either of these two teams. Yeah. I want it to be a close, you know, clean game with lots of points that comes down to something happening miraculous at the end. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. Well, well, I tell you, the playoff games were just like that. My God, they were all decided pretty much by field goals in the last two minutes. The la- yeah, yeah. I'm going for the Bengals, but um, but I certainly do like Matt Stafford. And uh, so, yeah. I, I, honestly, it's tough. I don't really have, yeah. a, have a dog in this fight, but, um, yeah. but I'd be happy with either team this year. Which is unusual for me to say. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'll be happy either way. I, I, I'm picking the Rams, but I'm not rooting strongly for either. That's for sure. Well, you know, that's that's the thing. You get to a point where uh, the the Browns haven't been here. I don't think uh, in a long time. I don't. I can't remember. No. Well, wow. the, the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl was uh, that was 89, Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, they lose to like the 49ers or something? S- something like that. Yeah. Way back. That's, that's the only time they were there. It's crazy. It's crazy. So anyway. Anyway. All right. So let's uh, let's get on with business here. And uh, Ryan, move your mic over just a little bit so we can get you a little bit hotter there. That's it. Okay. All right. How's Fan- that? Fantastic. Great. Okay. All right. So, um, Ryan, why don't you start off and uh, uh, give us the state of the state. The governor gave us the state of the state yesterday. So we need you to give you the, the, the state of the town today. Well, we are we are busy in the town of Portland. Things are moving along. Um, you'll notice Brainerd Place continues to have uh, have the demolition work done, and uh, and work is is underway there. We're we're looking forward to uh, them being able to move forward with their plans, and we're looking forward for uh, the construction to get underway. Hopefully, we'll get those. Uh, Get the, those permits in to the to the land use office any day now, so we can uh, so they can uh, keep moving forward with that. Yeah. But um, also, uh, uh, Brownstone Avenue is getting ready for some activity at 248 Brownstone Avenue. That's one of the three brownfield parcels that yep. the town purchased back mm-hmm. in 2019. Yep. And so we're excited that the company Enviro Consultants and Recyclers. We'll be beginning the remediation work. We believe it will begin in March. And, and once they do that, it, it really isn't going to take too, too long. I think that they even said they might be done by the end of March. So maybe certainly by uh, early April, that property may be remediated. And that's going to be part of our economic development in town. And we're hoping that we have a... Uh, that will have a public-private uh, partnership that we can put in place. I know that Mary Dickerson has been mm-hmm. uh, working hard on an RFP 
to uh, go out and, and find um, a private partnership. And so that will be becoming issued soon. I, I want to, you know, I sent it out to the Board of Selectmen to review. I wanted them to take a look at it. I, I personally think it's a great RFP, and, and I just hope that we get a lot of uh, activity from it so we, we can uh, pick the best choice for sure. the town. But certainly that will be a an economic driver for yep. town, and, mm -hmm. and that's really the point of it. We still have those other two parcels there. We have 222 and 230 Brownstone Ave, which are the parking lots, really, yep. that um, the Exploration and Discovery Park uses currently. And we're going to have to get that remediated as well. So the, the grant that we had from DECD, it covers enough to remediate the 248, but we're going to have to look for alternative uh, funding solutions for those other two lots. So we might be taking a look at maybe applying for some more some more brownfield grants. Sure. And so we'll see how that goes, but but that's exciting. So it's it's good to see. Uh, there's a couple other grants that are in the works. Uh, I know you are, you, Dave, you serve on our uh, Water and Sewer Commission. Yep. And that, as everyone in Portland knows, water is a hot-button topic these oh. days. Oh, absolutely. And so we had a uh, RFQ go out, uh, yep. request for qualifications, and, and after that we, we, picked, we selected four firms to um, move forward with an RFP. Yep. And coming up, Beginning next Tuesday, we're going to start interviewing those four firms. So okay. it's going to be uh, on Tuesday, we're going to interview one. I think that's the 15th. And then yep. I believe the 22nd, we will interview the other, the other three. three. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a panel for that. And I think that this is going to go a long way into into moving you know the ball forward and, and keeping this going because we really don't have a lot of time. No, uh, uh, 2026 is when the uh, the contract is up. Uh, and so forth. So we got to be in a position to, uh, you know, do something. <laughs> the the good news is uh, is that we did receive MDC's rate increases this year. Yeah. And it's a, it was a one percent rate increase from right. last year. So that's the silver lining is that you know we're not getting hit with another uh, you know eight or ten percent increase. It's you know so. So that's okay, but obviously we still have to. The year is young. The year is young, <laughs> and you never know. But um, but that's good. So we're working. We're working on that. Uh, I'm also working on uh, hopefully a couple other grants that we can talk about uh, once once we get farther along with them. And then the other thing that I'm working on is the budget, and that's really uh, the priority for February. It is that time. <laughs> and it's, I got to say, you know, we, we're coming in, we've had a reevaluation, so a lot of people yes. who are listening may have gotten those letters in the mail from the assessor explaining that their property most likely went up in value since the last revaluation. Yes. And so, you know, with that and with the, uh, I just read, I think it was, seven percent inflation that we just had in the past uh, uh, year over year or, or month I just read the uh, headline this morning but you know certainly the budget's going to be a challenge because we we certainly want to keep costs in check and we want to be you know prudent with uh, with the budget but we also have needs in and oh, there's yeah. a lot of areas uh, you know long-range capital Absolutely. capital improvements and uh, so that's that's what I'm working on with Tom right now and uh, we'll we'll hopefully get some some good numbers that uh, that we can bring forward to the town and the board of selectmen and uh, we can uh, you know move that forward so 
that's really, those are the big things I'm working on. And, and I just want to say part of the, uh, what goes along with that budget is I just got off a call with uh, our superintendent and we are working on a plan for uh, the replacement of that track that's yep. right here at the high out, school. Out the back door here, yeah, yeah. So that's that's uh, high on our priority list, and and really it's uh, it's just going to come down to everybody wants to get this done. We're all on the same page. We're just trying to fine tune the details of of where we're going to get the money and how we're going to pay for it. Yes, because uh, you know I walk out there every morning at uh, quarter or five, so it's. Uh... Well, we don't want you falling. Dave, no, no, so no. We have I... to take care of this. <laughs> So it's so got to keep you upright. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, great, Ryan. Well, that's that's great. Um, I think uh, everything is, uh, yeah, you know, you're 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 settling into the job, and and uh, I know your time is at a premium. <laughs> you know, every, yeah. every everybody's biting at your ankles here, you know, so to speak. It's a lot of emails, that's for sure. A oh, lot of emails. Absolutely. So anyway, anyway, that uh, if that's all you got, Louis, we can yeah. throw it over to Russ and uh, Russ. Uh, what's the state of the ha- the Chatham Health District now. We've got, uh, uh, you know, all of the mass mandates are kind of being rescinded one by one. And so uh, give us the state here. Yeah. So COVID-19, we're, we're at what I would say is the perhaps the period of greatest uncertainty since the pandemic first emerged in March of 2020, where we really were full of uncertainty about everything. Right. Um, and I say that because you know, we're, we're coming down off what has been the biggest by far wave of infections and hospitalizations um, of the pandemic. Uh, thankfully, vaccines, you know, m- managed to, to um, blunt the fatalities. So we, we did see quite a few, but not nearly as many as we have during other waves. But, but we're, we're coming down off this big wave, and a lot of people got infected. Um, not too many people got very sick. Most people are vaccinated. Um, you know, in the town of Portland, if you're, you know, if, if anybody's curious, of the total population, almost 84% are fully vaccinated. And that includes people who can't yet be vaccinated, those people under five. So vaccination rates are very high. Not many people are getting very, very sick, but infections continue to be very, very high. Right now, we've got more infections now than we did during the peak of last winter. Really, and and that includes now that we're using doesn't include results from at home tests. So think about that for a moment. I bet everybody right now is sort of starting to breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because it starts to feel like things are getting much better, and they are. But that's only because we've been down a pretty dark path <laughs> during the exactly. Omicron wave. Yes, and nobody knows if this is the last pandemic wave we will experience, or if there will be another variant that will emerge that will cause another pandemic wave. And I think more than that, the sentiment around, you know, sort of the idea of getting back to normal seems to be more prevalent than it was at any other point. In fact, I think the polls show that roughly 70% of Americans report that they think we should, quote unquote, try to get back to normal now. Right. Whatever that means. That might mean different things to different people. But, but the public sentiment seems to be that this is something we can now live with. Omicron seems to be less deadly. When you're hospitalized, you're hospitalized for a much shorter period of time. You tend to need less intensive care, you know, much, much less likely to die. Vaccines work pretty well to keep people relatively healthy and well, even when they're infected. So 
but nobody knows what the future is going to bring. But 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 generally speaking, you know, my my feeling on this is <clears throat> we don't know what it's going to bring, and so I think we need to be guarded against that. But maybe it is time to start considering, you know, a return to so easing back on some of these restrictions, with the understanding that, you know, if things get bad again, we should be prepared to reintroduce some of these restrictions, masks included. Right. Right. So there's just a lot. There's just a lot of uncertainty. There's just a lot of uncertainty, and that's coupled with a lot of exhaustion. Um, the big question right now is, you know, what do school districts do? You know, the right, governor right. announced that the statewide requirement for schools for schools to have masks mm-hmm. for everybody who enters the buildings <clears throat> is going to be allowed to expire um, as you know as late as February 28th. But if the legislature doesn't extend that executive order through the end of the month, then it will cease, you know, on the 15th, right, in February. So. <clears throat> That's going to be, and it's going to be passed to local decisions. And so all all the superintendents in the state, including school boards, uh, boards of education, are having these conversations right now. And there are varying degrees of eagerness and trepidation around, you know, how to approach masking in schools. From my perspective, we're in this situation where we've been told by the CDC <clears throat> that the regular old loose-fitting cloth face coverings that people were making themselves in their homes in 2020 no longer provide a comfortable level of protection given how transmissible Omicron is. So, <laughs> so we're hearing that those masks are really n- not particularly well-suited to protect people from Omicron. They, they do something, but, but not as much as they had been. So CDC is recommending people consider you know, higher level filtering face pieces like N95s and KN95s and KF94s, which for anybody who's worn those knows, they're not the most comfortable thing. And moreover, they're not recommended on a population level for, for children because they've not really been evaluated in children. Right. Heretofore, they've really been for industrial use by adults, you know, right. in healthcare or in occupational settings where there's a lot of, you know, particulates in the air, you know, yep. they do a pretty good job filtering. But that's adults. So, so we don't really know how well children, especially young children, might deal with these things. So, you know, my recommendation, first and foremost, to anybody who's got a, a, a child, especially a young child, who's thinking about these masks is talk to the, talk to the doctor about it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, speak to your doctor about it before you start putting those masks on your child because you don't know what the risks might be. Um, sure. So we're in this situation where the cloth face masks that most kids are wearing right now um, aren't as effective as they used to be. And so if we're telling kids to continue to wear those masks in school, how effective are they? Right. Um, so that goes into the uncertainty around mask policy. And the other thing is, you know, at least every child who's at least five years old or older has had the opportunity now for several months to get vaccinated. Sure. Parents have had the opportunity to vaccinate their children. So, you know, what is the goal of an intervention like wearing masks? Is the goal to try to prevent every last infection? Is the goal to try to prevent, you know, infections that result in serious disease? Well, we also know that most children um, present with much milder infections, especially children who are vaccinated tend to, you know, it's a vanishingly small number of children who are fully vaccinated that will end up having a severe outcome ending up in the hospital. Right. And that includes children with all sorts of underlying conditions like asthma, which is the most prevalent among children. Sure. So, so what are we talking about preventing when we're talking about these these interventions like universal masking? Um, so I think that there's just there's this uncertainty, and the other thing is, 
we've been living with Omicron, though it seems like forever. It's really only been a couple of months. Right. And so all the studies, all the evidence around the use of masks in schools and masks in community settings and businesses, everything that the CDC has been pointing to to say that masks work, it doesn't include studies that look at how they work with Omicron in those right. settings. So we're talking Delta, Alpha, and the original variant. That's where all the evidence is around masks right, right. and masks in schools specifically. So we don't have all the information in public health terms that we really, really want to have at our disposal to make a very well-informed recommendation around masks in schools. Right. The CDC still recommends masks in you know, all K through 12 schools, universal masks, and they still do. Yep. I believe the Connecticut Department of Public Health, when their guidance comes out, which we're all waiting for, mm-hmm. um, will have a similar recommendation. Universal masking in K through 12 schools. They'll have some options to say, if schools decide to not go with universal masking, here is what we recommend. Right. You know, that's, so there will be some things in there. But but we really just don't have all the great data that we need from Omicron in schools. We can look to the South, for example, and say, well, across the southern United States, they haven't had mask mandates in schools for, for quite a long time. And they dealt with Omicron. But they, had, they didn't have masks in schools at the outset and throughout the Omicron wave. So we did see early on many schools across the South deal with major outbreaks of Omicron. Um, some had to close because of so many students and so many staff were out with illness sure. that they couldn't, couldn't open the schools. But that was during the peak of Omicron. So we're past that here now. Right? Yeah. We went through and we have gone through the worst of the Omicron wave. And so looking to the South to see what schools look like without masks when we're already in the back end of this wave isn't particularly helpful. We can look at it and say, well, we would expect to see more transmission, but we simply don't know how much more. And right. so we just don't, there's just all that uncertainty, um, which makes me as the health director, you know, a little bit cautious. So, you know, my recommendations at this point, if I were press, would be for schools to consider extending a mask mandate for a couple of months. Just, just A, until we get past the, the worst of the Omicron wave, and B, there will be some early adopters in the state of Connecticut and in places like New Jersey and Massachusetts. There are a number of other states in the Northeast that have now or are in the process of removing the mask mandates in schools. And I, for one, don't like to be such an early adopter of these things. I prefer to say, well, let's look to see what happens right. with some of these early adopters. Sure. You know, are they going to see major outbreaks? Are they going to see spikes in hospitalizations among young people? Or is it going to continue to decline as though nothing's happening, um, as though nothing changed? You know, that would be fantastic. I'd rather look back and say, yeah, we could have done it a little earlier, but we were cautious. Right. Then say, well, we did it. We were an early adopter, and then we, you know, then we saw a bunch of kids get sick. So I, that's where my head is at around school masks. But I don't necessarily think universally we should always have masks in schools. I don't think that that is where we need to be you know, forever and ever. Or for even a long time. Right, right. Because quite frankly, again, there are some things that we won't know until we do it. Right, right. Which is kind of a scary thing for families. It's a scary thing for administrators. It might be a scary thing for kids. Sure. Um, but that is simply the truth. We, we may not know exactly how Omicron in Connecticut on the back end of this wave is going to behave in schools without masks. Sure. And anybody who tells you different... Um, is is not telling the truth. Right, right. Well, and, and just so you know, I, in 
a few minutes here, we're going to have uh, Dr. Britton be coming in and doing the school podcast. So we're going to get a sense oh, of, good. of where his, uh, uh, you know, his board is at. And if you're more than welcome to hang around if you want to do that, you know, as far oh, as Oh, well, actually, I was on a, I was on a call with, uh, with Dr. Britton yesterday with his reopening committee. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was on that call, and, and I everything I just shared with you know your listeners just now, I, I shared with, with, Dr. with Charles, and I shared with the other members of the reopening committee, including, I think, Ralph Zampano, who's on the board. Yes, of he's on the board of selectmen. So, you know, I've, I've, I, I don't want anybody to think that, you know, when public health makes recommendations that we are certain about, you know, these things. There is some inherent uncertainty here, sure. especially right now, which is why you're hearing some caution. Right. Um, you are hearing from public health officials, including me, I'll say, that we can start to move cautiously towards some kind of return to normalcy. But I say cautiously. So right, right. Um, that, that's all. That's, that's where my head's at around these things. Well, I think from a standpoint of the state, I think the, you know, the governor is going to be rescinding a lot of the uh, indoor mask uh, mandates throughout the state. And, uh, you know, is it at the end of the month or... Uh, this week or something? Uh, yeah, I think at the end of the month. So right, right. now, the only ma- there's a mask mandate for people who are unvaccinated in all the indoor spaces, and we know that that that's by and large not really being enforced because nobody's asking to see anybody's vaccination card when they come into an office building, for example. Right, so, right, right. You know, yeah, that's mandates in place, but when it expires, I think we'll notice very little different. Except people will start taking signs down, right? You know, right. at the door that says unvaccinated people must wear masks. Right, right. So that, that'll be the only change we'll really recognize. And we'll, you know, we'll take a look at the numbers and see, you know, when these things change, do we see a plateauing of the decline of the Omicron wave? Mm-hmm. You know, or do we see it continue to come down very sharply as it has been over the last few right, years? Right, right. Um, if we see a plateau, then we'll know, okay, we may be seeing the effect of rescinding all these mitigation measures. Sure. Um, and and that's just something we'll either decide that we're going to live with or, or not. Which brings me to so another point. I mean, you hear a lot of people talking about pandemic versus endemic, right? Like, are we are we moving to a point where COVID nineteen is just an endemic disease because we're not going to get rid of it absent vaccines that are much much better at preventing infections, which right. our vaccines unfortunately now are not. They're right. great at preventing disease, but you can still get infected and get a little sick. So. Endemic, simply the difference between an endemic disease and something that is not endemic, that we might consider pandemic or episodic or or whatever, is our level of tolerance. It's actually more of a social question than it is any question of epidemiology Mm -hmm. or numbers. You know, we can have an endemic disease that causes a lot of disease and a lot of disability and a lot of death. I mean, you can look at malaria, for example. That's endemic in parts of Africa. It kills, you know, half a million children every year. But mm-hmm. it's endemic. Um, I don't think anybody would argue we want something like that. But we've got Lyme disease. causes quite a bit of disease sure. in our population. That's yeah. endemic. We've to- we tolerate it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have, for example, requirements that whenever you enter a park, you have to wear long pants and tuck your pants into your socks so you can't use the trails <laughs> from, from May to October. Right, right, right. right. You know? So the, the, the word endemic, what we frame this disease as, is simply a matter of the, the, the public's uh, ability to tolerate however much disease and disability and death it causes. That's right, it. Right. Well, and that's, 
public policy. I mean, Ryan knows he's 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 into public policy now. Mm-hmm. Public policy accounts for the importance objectively, like the severity of something, the frequency that something is occurring with, and public sentiment. Yeah. And and public sentiment right now is 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 playing a big role in a lot of the decision making, you know. Because everybody realistically is is COVID tired, you know. Uh, That's right. You know, and and that is going to play, you know, partly into a lot of, uh, for for a better word, politicizing a lot of the things as far as that goes. So and yeah, and well, you, you have to make public policy, and yeah. politicians make public policy. Elected boards make policy. You know, public health will have recommendations. You know, my recommendation would be to keep masks on kids, but yeah. at the same time. Um, you know, I'm not a, we, Chatham Health District is not a policy-making agency. Right. You know, we issue public health recommendations. And, yep. Um, that's it. But public policy takes into account more than just, you know, public health recommendations. Right, right, right. Well, that's, uh, that's the way it is, I think. And again, it's, it's uh, you know, living with it and, uh, you know, defining the new, new normal for what that might right. be. You know, right, so. but again, like just we we need to be ready to deal with the next Greek letter in the alphabet if it if it happens. And there's no telling what that could bring. It could bring something that is even less severe. Right. You know, less transmissible. Less well, it probably wouldn't be less transmissible. Mm-hmm. It would have to be something more transmissible. Right. Or and having an ability to sidestep our existing immunity, whether from natural infection and recovery or from vaccination, to really take over Omicron. You know. And no, there's no telling if it's going to become seasonal, if it's going to be, you know, we're going to see two waves every year for, you know, the next 10 years. Sure. We don't know how the virus is going to evolve or if it's just going to stop. Yeah. We really have no idea. Right. So I think everybody who's exhausted, just be be prepared to see what happens next and be open to, you know, things getting better and feeling great and maybe things not getting better, things right. getting worse and just be prepared. So. Um, what, what, that's COVID-19 in a nutshell right now. It's just a period of uncertainty. And, you know, I want to give everybody out there who's listening permission to feel whatever they feel around the risk involved in what we're talking about. Sure. Because everybody has a different personal comfort level with the risk. Sure. And we can measure risk and we can describe risk as we do in public health with numbers. Yeah. But everybody's going to look at those numbers and feel a different way about that risk and then therefore feel a different way about what we as a society should do to mitigate that risk. Sure, sure. Well, so that's, that's be, your, be respectful, that's all. Be respectful in the dialogue as we move, move through this transition. Sure. What, what's, what's the status on, on the, the oral pills right now? So there are a number of really good medications out there. Um, the, the, I think the best one is the one that's manufactured by Pfizer, uh, and that is, uh, you know, an oral medication that's taken early on during the course of disease. There's another one by Merck that's a little bit less effective. Both are available only in small numbers. So right now they're not widely available. Manufacturing hasn't yet really caught up with what would be uh, the demand, but it's out there. So, so um, if you are somebody who especially is high risk, who ends up testing positive for COVID-19 and has symptoms, don't delay, you know, reach out to your doctor and ask if they can prescribe you or if you, it is appropriate for you to be prescribed either of these oral medications because they could be taken in the comfort of your home as opposed to the previous treatments were really monoclonal antibody treatments that people were getting. Yep. And, you know, there's some, uh, you know, they've, they have a diminished effect right now with Omicron. Right. So 
those pills, the Pfizer one, I think is 90% effective at, at okay. preventing hospitalization. I mean, that is tremendous. Now, are, are those uh, um, okay for, for children to take? or I don't know, actually. I don't know if they are prescribed for children. I think, you know, most children aren't going to be categorized as high risk. So even if they are, for example, um, authorized for use in the pediatric population, I don't know how many physicians would look at a child unless they had some serious immunocompromising condition right. and say they really warrant being prescribed these right now, you know, hard to come by medications. Um, so I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but there are also, there might be parents out there who are thinking, well, my child has an immunocompromising condition. They attend public schools. They've been vaccinated, but I know that the vaccine may not be as effective for people who are immunocompromised, including my child. Right. And if the masks come off, I don't know if I feel safe sending my child to school. Right. There could be, there are likely some parents out there who, are, who fit that category. Yeah. And in terms of medications, there is a monoclonal antibody that is indicated for pre-exposure prophylaxis. Okay. And it is very effective. So what that means, and it's for children as young as 14, not younger. Um, I forget the name of the of the monoclonal antibody, but it's given in an, it's an injectable. It's given to the patient, and it provides pretty long-lasting, many months of protection for moderately to severely immunocompromised people. Oh, okay. So essentially, if you're somebody for whom the vaccine might not be very effective because you your body can't mount a a sustained immune response after exposure to the vaccine, you can get this monoclonal antibody and it provides you sort of similar level of protection that the vaccine would right. if you were somebody who could mount a proper response to the vaccine. So that's a monoclonal antibody. And so for anybody out there who has a child as young as 14 who is immunocompromised and there's some concerns around whether the vaccine is protective and you have to send your child to public school and you're worried about masks coming off, yeah. speak to your child's physician or if you're a teacher right. and you fit that category, right? Sure. There are teachers out there who you know, work in schools and are, might be worried about masks coming off. Speak to your physician or your child's physician about this monoclonal antibody treatment that is used before exposure, not as a treatment after illness develops, but before exposure. Right. right. So we have all these other tools in our toolbox now. Um, vaccines on the public health side, these new treatments on the treatment side after somebody gets sick, or the pre-exposure prophylactic treatment right. that we didn't have last year, right, you know, we yeah. didn't have at the last peak. So I think we're kind of in this space where we're starting to get a handle on how we manage this a little bit better. Vaccines are pretty effective. We have treatments. You know, some of the cloth masks are known to be a little bit less effective, and so what, you know, right. why are we continuing to wear them? And that's so an appropriate question to ask. Yeah. So this just big, big transitional period right now. Sure, Dave. sure. Just really transitional. Any other thing, Russ? Do you, um, and you'd probably have a better sense than I. But do, do you do you think the uh, you know the, the big educational campaign that was thrust into the media and so forth did, did that help in vaccinations? We saw a very, very small sustained increase in vaccine initiation and people getting fully vaccinated, but it was almost imperceptible, Dave. Oh, okay. I mean, for all the, starting starting as far back as July, um, the federal government trickled down to the states, pumped a lot of money into vaccine campaigns, right. vaccine education, you know, getting vaccines out into communities, to vulnerable communities, 
you know, we participated. We were at all kinds of public events over the summer and going all the way up into November. Right. And, you know, for all that effort, we saw a pretty small benefit. Right, right. So and it's been like that for quite a while. We've just been seeing a small uptick in vaccinations. Right. Um, we may see, you know, if, if mask policies change, we may see that impact, especially parents of some young kids. Right now, the lowest vaccination coverage is among children 5 to 11 years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's pretty low. It's well under 50%, you know, for I think statewide, it's somewhere around 30%. It's pretty, right. it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some parents who are looking at masks coming off and thinking, okay, maybe it's time to get my child vaccinated. And I would say to those parents who are thinking about that, yeah, you really should consider getting your kids vaccinated. Sure, sure. Um, because, you know, despite the fact that most young people have a pretty uh, reasonable course of infection when they get infected, even if they're unvaccinated, right. um, there is a there is a risk of some pretty rare but serious complications from COVID-19, especially with young people um, called MISC, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Okay, yeah. And we have seen over the last couple of months a pretty significant spike in reports of MISC. Yep. Um, and that's a pretty significant uh, outcome for those kids. Sure. Um, so I, I think that parents of young kids should should weigh the benefits of the vaccine in preventing some of those rare but serious outcomes against the very mild risks associated with vaccinating children and, and, and take a hard look at it and get sure. your kids vaccinated. Well, great. Well, th- thanks, Russ, for the uh, all of the info uh, and so forth. So uh, I think that... Uh, um, is is very informational for our listeners, and uh, again, I appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us the update and so forth. And uh, we're going to get, uh, like I say, Charles is going to be coming. In fact, he's 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 out in the, in the green room right now. Okay, <laughs> great. So forth. So anyway, Ryan, you got anything else uh, to add before we uh, wrap it up here at our episode number forty-seven? <laughs> no, I think I think we covered it. And thank thanks, Russ. It's a lot of great information. So great. Yeah, happy to be here. All right, Russ, thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up our episode number 47 of the Town of Portland podcast. And again, our, our host today, as, as always, is our, our first selectman, uh, Mr. Ryan Curley, and our uh, uh, kind of our, our frequent flyer uh, invited guest, uh, Mr. Russ Melman from the Chatham Health District. So uh, stay safe. Um, you know, the uh, news is coming out as far as the max update, and uh, we're going to be doing our Portland Public School uh, podcast very shortly, and uh, uh, Dr. Charles Burton is going to be giving us all of that update. So thanks again. Uh, Stay safe, and uh, good luck uh, with your uh, Super Bowl picks this weekend. So thanks so much. All right.